0: G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane. I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Well folks, a, a Good Friday sermon, um, if it's going to be worthy of the name and worthy of the day. A Good Friday sermon won't skirt around the darker realities of life, it's just the topic of the day, isn't it? You can't avoid it if you're going to do it justice. Uh, Today we have the heavy task of staring, once again, I put it to you, into the abyss of that first Good Friday at a truly evil and diabolical um, string of events back then that tradition, thankfully, um, sets before us year by year. Now, for most of us, of course, we follow along with that story um, as believers uh, we aren't just observers, we aren't disinterested readers, unfeeling. No, our hearts are very much in it. This is our Lord, our God, um, who we're reading about. A man whose love for us, led him to lay down his life for us. Um, a God so devoted to us that he would leap into the abyss, as it were, to conquer uh, death and darkness and so take hold of us and wrench us out of it. Um, You see, I'm convinced it's only in the dark of Good Friday that we find the light of Christ and and begin to see it aright. Uh, The paradox is, of course, if you try to avoid the dark and dodge the story of Good Friday, breeze through Easter, glide through this weekend without coming to grips with this message, then of course it will ring hollow to us. No, we have to um, stare into the abyss, friends. So, come with me this morning on, um, yes, a familiar journey, Uh, Come with me, those of you who have heavy hearts, who are perhaps weary of staring into the darkness um, in much of life and see too little light, come with me. Come with me, you who are tempted to to gloss over the hard stuff and glide past it all. Uh, But let's come together and particularly to the first half of Pilate's trial of Jesus, that's where we're going to concentrate, back there in chapter 18, if you're following along on your lap, chapter 18 uh, and from verse 10 is where we're going to be picking it up, just that preliminary scene that leads us uh, to the cross of Jesus. Um, But before I pray, may I just touch on one last thing, um, something that I hope might make it a little bit more personal um, for all of us. This thought comes from a bloke named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Um, Solzhenitsyn, uh, he was many things actually, but he became famous to us, you might know him as a writer, as an author, that's how he became known in the West. Um, He was born in 1918, he fought the German um, army as he was fighting for, the Red Army in the Second World War, he was a Russian. Uh, But crucially here, Solzhenitsyn was a real critic of Russian communism, as in an outspoken critic of communism while living in Russia under Joseph Stalin. You see where this is going. Um, To cut a long story short, Solzhenitsyn's negative attitude earned him a place in the Russian gulags for eight years. He was a political prisoner uh, and so he was detained in the forced labour camps, the gulags. Now, Now, I won't burden you with the details of that, but suffice it to say, Solzhenitsyn saw plenty of the dark. He saw plenty of evil Uh, He had plenty of it done to him. He stared hard hard into that abyss that is human evil and suffering. So, it might surprise you, actually, to hear him say this. He starts, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. You see, if only... Do you see the picture? Wouldn't it be great if there were the bad guys over there? You could just separate them off, put them off to the side, uh, Those truly bad right to the core and then there's the good guys, there's us over here. Uh, It'd be so simple, we could just get rid of the baddies, neat and tidy, simple as you like, put them over there and wipe them out. But, he says, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Do you hear that, folks? Coming from him, with what he'd seen and had inflicted upon him. The problem with the world isn't the baddies over there, no, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and he asks, who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Could we please pray as we come to John, uh, John's Gospel, let's pray. Father, when we look way back at the events of Good Friday, it is tempting to us to make the very error that Solzhenitsyn warns against. The darkness was back then, it was over there, it was among them. God, even in our lives, we tend to divide the world very neatly and in in our favour. In our minds, there are the good guys and that nearly always includes us and there are the bad guys, the people who disagree with us or who are unlike us or who have hurt us. Father, as we look upon true evil, the events leading to the Lord of life being killed and the light of the world being snuffed out, give us please that honest self-appraisal to recognise the seed and the fruit of the very same evils in our own hearts and minds and lives this morning. Help us to delve into that. But God, let us not remain there. Instead, lift us up. In anticipation of Easter Sunday and through the path of repentance and faith, may your Spirit minister to us this morning as we look back at that dark day and we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. So John chapter 18 from verse 28, um, just we're just looking at the trial of Jesus before Pilate or the first part of it, uh, John chapter 18 and verse 28. I'm hoping that we can answer two questions today. Uh, really? Two questions, the first one is the obvious one, um, how on earth did things go horribly wrong, so horribly wrong, in a Roman court of law that by the end they would send Jesus off to be executed? Jesus, yes, a king, um, but one that they know was no threat to Roman rule whatsoever um, and by the end, so they'd send Jesus off to be executed and by the end, they would release, get this, not just a credible threat to Roman rule, um, but a man convicted, a man proven guilty of rebellion, wait, isn't that the very definition of the threat that they're allegedly trying to suppress by crucifying Jesus, do you see? What went so horribly wrong? Can we come up with an answer um, to that? It beggars belief. Um, Secondly, if you and I are to avoid the same tragic mistake. Now, I know that we don't have Jesus on trial in our lives in quite the same way, I understand that, but when it comes to us and Jesus, what dangers lie within our hearts and minds and lives and passions where we are more like Pilate and more like the Jews than we care to admit? Could you come with me please to John chapter 18, pick it up with me from verse 28. John 18, verse 28. Uh, Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas, that's the Jewish high priest, he'd been tried there already. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, and that's Pilate. By now it was early in the morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Hey, have you got the scene in mind there? So the, the Jews arrayed outside Pilate's palace, his headquarters, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and folks, how would you describe the priorities and the agenda of the Jewish leaders there as they front up to Pilate as they're standing there and he comes out to them with Jesus in tow. Now don't get distracted by some of the little details there, the red herrings, because uh, what have we got there? Yes, it's early. Uh, very early in the morning, it's probably before 6am. Imagine fronting up to a governor's headquarters before 6am. But folks, that's actually not so weird in their setting, the Romans love to knock off early more than most Aussies, Uh, they'd be done with work by lunchtime. So, Pilate, he was already working, never mind that. Uh, Yes, Pilate has come out to meet them. Oh, wait a second, he's the governor, isn't he? Why should the governor come out to meet them? Is he under the thumb or something? Is he at their beck and call? No, no, I don't don't think it's that. I think he's just sensitive to their religious hang-ups. It's smart politics, folks, for Pilate. No, no, but there is something here that reveals to us the hearts and the agendas amongst those Jews, isn't there? I think it's there in verse 28. Have a look with me halfway through. It tells us, to avoid ceremonial uncleanness the Jews did not enter the palace, they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. We're in Passover festival, there are many meals to it. Uh, Let's just just let their sense of what really matters sit with us for a minute. I think that that is a staggering thing to have in there. Let's just let their sense of what really matters in life, their agenda, their priorities, let's let that sit with us for a minute. Because they have the crucifixion of Jesus on their hands. They have Jesus' life in their hands. I think William Barclay nails it here, his words, he says, now see what the Jews were doing. They were carrying out the details of ceremonial law with absolutely meticulous care and at the same time, They were hounding to the cross the Son of God who was incarnate love. Do you see the tragedy there? That is just the kind of thing that men are always liable to do, says Barclay. There's many a church member who fusses about the sheerest trifles and who breaks God's law of love and of forgiveness and of service every day. There's even many a church in which the details of vestments, furnishings, ritual, ceremonial are attended to with the most detailed care and where the spirit of love and fellowship are conspicuous only by their absence. One of the most tragic things in the world, says Barclay, is how the human mind can lose its sense of proportion and its ability to put first things first. I think that's a good read of human nature, isn't it? and I think it's a great summary of what's gone on here, outside the palace, fussing over meaningless made-up laws, I don't even think they're talking about Old Testament laws particularly here, I think they're talking about their traditions and rules, instead of attending to the actually important matter of the life and death of Jesus Christ. We wouldn't make the same mistake, would we? It's not just a trap for the religious, is it? Uh, Today we have a day to weigh up the death of the Son of God for us, I mean today, Good Friday, that's what today's for in our culture, isn't it? So let me ask you, is that the first, is that the most pressing, is it the most urgent matter for you to attend to in your heart today, the significance of the death of Jesus in your life? Well, you've made it to church, so that's a good start, Very often when it comes to Jesus, I get the impression that for some of us, for some of us, that almost literally anything will do as a distraction if it means that we don't have to do business with Jesus. May I urge you today, don't make that mistake, don't make the mistake of the Jews there. Uh, Let's keep moving, let's keep moving, have a listen to their their bickering and their politicking. Now, it just kind of goes on and on actually, Uh, from verse 29, so Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? (laughs) Just listen how they talk past one another. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words of Jesus um, that he'd spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Did it strike you as weird before? See how they're talking past one another? Does that strike you as one of the most odd conversations that you come across in Scripture? Because they fight like cats, it's almost like they're shadow boxing um, as they um, sort of, there's hardly, uh, it's hard to find a straight answer in that entire conversation. But at the end there, at the end there, then Pilate comes through with this, what, is he a mind reader? How did he know to ask that question? Are you the King of the Jews? How did he manage to pinpoint with such razor-sharp focus, such an incisive question based on that argument that he's just had with the Jews? Does that strike you as a weird thing? Keep in mind, uh, and especially those of you uh, who um, have been following along these last weeks, you probably recognise this, keep in mind as we go, I sorely doubt this is the first that these men had seen of one another over the last 12 hours, um, why do I say that? Well, because who do you reckon authorised sending hundreds of troops out of the city to track down this Jesus earlier on that night? What kind of case would they have needed to set before Jesus, to convince, uh, to set before Pilate, to convince him of the need to authorise a troop deployment like that? Pilate's not going to get caught up if it's just some little religious matter, go and solve that yourselves in your own little courts. No, no, the Jews fed him this line, the king of the Jews, Pilate, a threat to your rule, Pilate, he was their entire case. Oh, they'd talked together before now, if he claimed to be king, you're going to let him live, Pilate? So now does their bickering make a little bit more sense? You see, from the Jews' point of view now, uh, don't you? Hence, um, what do you mean, what charges do we bring against him? Come on, Pilate, haven't we talked about this? Isn't that why you gave us the soldiers? What do you mean you need to go and ask him more questions now? Didn't we agree to this not 12 hours ago? What more do you want, Pilate? And I actually wonder if they're fearful that the whole thing's going to slip through their fingers. Now, happily for them, uh, they need have no fear at all that Pilate would change his mind Simply for discovering a silly little thing called truth, needn't have worried at all. Let's read on, verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. How do you reckon the trial's going? Are you the king of the Jews? That's the question. How do you reckon Pilate's hearing this so far? Governor Pilate, powerful Pilate, because Pilate cares about power, He cares about threats to power. He cares about threats to his power. So if this guy wants to be king of the Jews, have a look at verse 36 again. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Um, Do you know what? I mean, I've read this passage um, many, many times, I'm sure uh, many of you are very familiar with it, heard it hundreds of times, do you reckon? Probably hundreds, uh, some of us. I've always wondered about that little statement from Pilate, what is truth? Have you ever wondered about that? What does he even mean um, with that question? It sounds like it's this sort of, you know, modern philosophy question shoved back into Scripture that's a couple of thousand years, what is truth? What is Pilate getting at? In asking that question. What is he even asking? Uh, But this week as I've I've looked at it, I think it's finally dawned on me and I'd like to share it with you because notice, Pilate isn't really asking a question, is he? Um, You'll notice there, um, he doesn't want an answer. Verse 38, what is truth? Pilate asked and with this he went out again. He doesn't stick around for an answer, he doesn't want to know what Jesus thinks about what truth is. So, what's he doing? He's making a point. Uh, The question on view, you'll remember, is, are you a king? By which Pilate means, are you a threat to my power? Are you a rival? Do you have some claim on my territory? Because if you do think that you have a claim on some of my territory, boy, you've got another thing coming. That's Pilate's mind. And his conclusion, Pilate's conclusion of the matter, well, we have it there in verse 38, actually, at the very end, I find no basis for a charge against him. So, what do you think? Is Jesus a king? Well, yes, I mean, He says He was born for it, in fact, He came into the world for it. Are you asking me for yourself, Pilate? Because you ought to be, by the way, I came to tell you, even you, the truth, Pilate. No more power games, I'm not interested in your bickering. The truth, as in the truth from God, that is what my kingdom is about the God whose character is on display in this blameless man who stands before you at the moment, whose agenda will not be stumped by Rome, you can do what you like with me, will not be stumped by Jerusalem. Are you with me, Pilate? You're wondering how I fit into your little rule, maybe you should start wondering how you fit into mine. Do you see? So, is Jesus a king? Not in any sense that Pilate cares about in the least, do you see? His kingdom is about truth, what even is truth? It's not a kingdom. It has no territory. It poses no threat. You flex no muscle. I care nothing for it, nor do I care anything for its king. Do you see? He is mocking. What is truth? What is truth? Pilate asked, verse 38. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one of the prisoners at the time of the Passover do you want me to release the king of the Jews? He's baiting them, isn't he? Isn't he feeding them? Isn't he trying to draw, get a rise out of them? The king of the Jews, they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. So, folks, the question that we started with, how on earth did things go so horribly wrong in this Roman court of law, that by the end, they would send Jesus off to be crucified, executed and by the end, they would release, not just a credible threat to Roman rule, not just a rival to Pilate and his um, governorship, but a man convicted, proven guilty of rebellion, the very thing that they're trying to circumvent by sending Jesus to be executed. You see, sadly, it's really not that hard to understand, is it? Too often the things that we cannot bear to let go of are the very things that are slowly killing us and isn't that what we're seeing here? What is that for Pilate? For Pilate, it was his pride, it was his power. It would have cost him nothing, wouldn't it? What would it have cost him to let Jesus go? It would have cost him nothing But a little bit of ego to actually stand by his very own convictions, I find no basis for a charge against him. What would it have cost him? For the Jews, what was the thing that they couldn't bear to let go of but the very thing that was slowly killing them? For the Jews, it was much the same, wasn't it? It was power, it was privilege. They couldn't bow to some upstart who told them how to live their lives and do their religion. Now, What about for us? As Jesus went to the cross, you know, unmoved by their scheming, uninterested in their petty games, unsurprised by their hatred. I reckon we need to let His words stick with us a little bit. Did you catch them there in the middle? Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He came from God to bring truth into this world and He says, everyone on the side of truth, listens to me? And I want to ask this this morning, do we? Do we listen to Jesus? Do we acknowledge Him as King? Never mind the powers of this world and the, the influential and the proud, are you on the side of truth? Are you sticking with Jesus? And we began with Solzhenitsyn. You know, it's not, the, it's not the baddies over there, you can so neatly Um, cordon off. Rather, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Well, I'd like to close with a very practical picture of how that might look out in the world and in our lives, of the things that keep us from Jesus, from being on the side of truth, the bits of our own heart that might need destroying, can I put it that way? Uh, This comes from John Piper, um, an American preacher. Um, He's really great. I think he wrote it in 1984, although I tried to confirm that date because it sure sounds to me like um, he's writing after September 11. Anyway, have a listen, see what you make of it. Piper says, I think it is very important for every one of you to think hard about what you would do if cultic terrorists hijacked your plane And before they blew it up, offered to let everyone off who would say, Jesus Christ is not my Saviour and Lord. The reason I think it's important to think about this is that the resurgence of fundamentalist anti-Christian violence in the world makes it very possible that it will happen. But more important is the fact that thinking about your own death for Christ will help you live for Christ as you should. A true Christian must be willing to say, I will not renounce Christ even if it costs my life. But, says Piper, as soon as we say that, it makes a whole lot of things in our lives look ridiculous. I'll die for you, but I can't find time to sit and read your teaching every day. I'll die for you, but prayer doesn't seem real. I'll die for you, but I can't talk to Jim about you at work. I'll die for you, but I can't support your cause with more than 10% of my income. One of the best ways to bring wonderful, Christ-honouring changes into your life is to measure your way of life by your willingness to die for Jesus. And I want to set that before us on the day that we remember Christ's willingness to die for us. Can we please pray? Our loving Heavenly Father, we look on Jesus heading to the cross, that lonely path, and we look upon the truth that came from heaven and lived amongst us. Christ died to save sinners, sinners like us. We confess openly before you, our God, that our focus and our drive is too rarely the love of Jesus for us and His death and our forgiveness in Him and our indebtedness to Him and a passion to live life like His, you know, unfazed by petty obsessions and power plays and unimpressed by supposedly influential and special people with their agendas in our lives and for our lives. God, we've instead squabbled. We've got things all out of proportion. We've cared only for Jesus insofar as He doesn't upset our little apple cart. We remember today that mankind's colours were on display back there on Good Friday in that trial, our colours and they were very dark indeed but we also remember Father that the truth from heaven was on display and in that we take heart, in that we rejoice, in the man who stood at the centre and especially the man who hung from the cross for us. Lord God we pray, uh, we praise you rather that his end at the cross was not the end and it's not our end by faith in him. So, Father, lift those amongst us, please, those whose hearts are heavy, lift them with the hope of Sunday, with all that means both for the grave but also for this life, a completely clean sheet, thorough forgiveness, absolute freedom to stand before you, O Lord, our God and Father. Lift those amongst us, Father, whose eyes have drifted from Jesus. Lift their eyes again to Him and grant them, please, give them the resolve to join the side of truth. Lift those amongst us, O God, well, all of us, that is, whose hearts are a mess of good and bad and the line is too blurred to even see. Lift us out of our conflicted selves, please, and into the people who would walk in Christ's footsteps this Easter. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.